Welcome to GodPod. This is a podcast from St Paul's Theological Centre, based in St Melitus College, which is a community of people studying and teaching Christian theology here in the UK and around the world. Graham Tomlin, Mike Lloyd and the occasional guest join me, Jane Williams, in discussing God, life, theology, in fact, just about anything. Well, hello, everyone, and uh, welcome back to another episode of GodPod. And uh, we are, of course, delighted to be doing yet another episode of this um, wonderful podcast, which we've been doing for many, many years now. That, um, and uh, today we are back with the usual home team, the one that's been here right from the beginning. So that's myself, Graham Tomlin. We also have Jane Williams here. We do. And Michael Lloyd. Uh, yeah, we do indeed. Although I think from the beginning makes it sound a bit kind of cosmic in scope, which is possibly um, <laughs> o- overstating the case a little. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we do have a bit of a revelation to make at this point that um, that uh, we've, we actually we've got these sort of fancy headphones and like that kind of thing. But I'm afraid Michael has lost his. So. Um, and I've it, left mine in London. So oh, you Graham, go. you're the only person that's, yeah. that's going to be audible on this God pod, but yeah. that's fine. So if you can't hear the others, you're reliant on my wisdom today. <laughs> and, and it's a little bit like reading one Corinthians. You have to work out from what Graham says what Jane and I were saying. <laughs> um, not that that's a problem with one Corinthians directly, but yeah, you know what I, I mean. didn't have much to say in one Corinthians myself. <laughs> yeah. but a little challenge for, li- for listeners today. You may only hear one voice. And if you do, you've got to work out what Jane and Mike would have said in response. <laughs> but hopefully you can hear us all the same. But anyway, so uh, today we are coming on to the third in our series on the Creed. Uh, we have been uh, uh, over the past months doing a few um, uh, explorations into the Nicene Creed. And we've looked at the um, the article on the Father. We've done one on the uh, the Son, Jesus Christ. Uh, and today we come on to the Holy Spirit. And um just a reminder for those of you who uh, may not have it at the top of your uh, memory, uh, what the Nicene Creed says about the Holy Spirit is this. It talks about the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son. With the Father and the Son, he is worshipped and glorified. He has spoken through the prophets. That's the kind of full article. And it may be worth just mentioning how, um, because in the original version of the Nicene Creed that came out of the Council of Nicaea, all it said was, we believe in the Holy Spirit, full stop. And there was a kind of long debate in the kind of years after that uh, as to what what do we believe about the Holy Spirit? And then in 381, in the Council of Constantinople, uh, a bit was added um, to that simple statement, which is why we get all the other stuff about proceeding uh, from the Father and the Son and Father and Son is worshipped and glorified. Probably also worth saying that the original creed didn't have Father and the Son, the, the filioque clause, but we can go into that later on if we want to or or, or not as the case may be. So anyway, we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit today and what the Creed says about it. So um, Mike and Jane, when you hear that um, definition of the Spirit as the giver of life, what does that make you think? What does what strikes you about the idea of the, the Spirit as the giver of life? And what, what do you think that means? I mean, it's, it, uh, it brings what picture I, comes to my mind is that of, of the Spirit hovering over the waters of creation and uh, bringing order uh, and coherence and um, beauty and depth to life uh, in uh, the first act of creation. That, that somehow the Spirit is the one who um, 
from the fullness of the Trinitarian life um, creates an overflow of that life. Not that that's an unfortunate choice of phrase, but because I'm not suggesting that the spirit is, that the creation is an emanation from God, but, but that the spirit is the one who goes outward into that which doesn't yet exist and, and enables it to be and to flourish and to uh, have beauty and coherence. Because um, yeah, it's inter interesting that it says it, that the spirit is the giver of life, as in other words, all life. So not, not just spiritual life or life within the church, but he's the giver of all life. Um, which, which does connect it up, doesn't it, to that original statement about God, the Father Almighty, creator of all things, and helps us to see that we're not talking about three different people doing different things when we're talking about the Trinity. We're talking about the, the one act of the one God in three persons. Um, it, it is interesting, isn't it, what you were saying, Graham, that, um, that Nicaea just said, and we believe in the Holy Spirit. And I think our Christian theology has has suffered slightly from that all the way through that um, we sort of know we believe in the Holy Spirit, but um, uh, that tends to be where most, particularly Western theologians fall down when they're actually talking about the role of the Holy Spirit. And so I think connecting it uh, as the creed does back to everything that exists, as Mike says, from the beginning is, 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 is profoundly helpful. And if you're connecting it back to the Father, then you're also connecting it to the Son the life that, that the father gives to the world is, is, is son and daughter shaped life. Uh, and it's the Holy Spirit that um, draws us into the life uh, that is shaped around um, the son's response to the father that's shaped, that's shaped around Jesus. Um, so that life givingness is, is not just um, abstract. It's, it's focused around the life that precedes from the Father to the Son, through the Spirit to us and back. That makes sense. The creed is very much focused on God as we as we encounter God, isn't it? It's not talking about God and God's self. It's talking about God as 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 God gives God's self to be known by us. And, and those bits of God's engagement with us that came under. Uh, query and, and challenge. Uh, the, one, the reason why in Nicaea they said and in the Holy Spirit, whereas in Constantinople, the Council of Constantinople, um, it had a whole much longer section, is because people were beginning to question the divinity of the Spirit. There was a whole thing called the Macedonian heresy, um, which was countered by Athanasius, who countered the, the, the um, Arian controversy, the denial of the divinity of the Son. Uh, but mainly by St. Basil. Um, and because it has been challenged, therefore it is more carefully defined and articulated uh, in the creed that emerges from the Council of Constantinople, as is often the case uh, in, in church history. It's that which is attacked that you come to think through more carefully and articulate more, more carefully. Um, so that, that's why, but you're right, Jane, that there's been a really, un, really unfortunate kind of consequence to that, which is the, the, the underplaying of the spirit in, in so much. Yeah, and you're right, you're right, Mike, through the fourth century, there was this long debate on the, the divinity of the spirit and, and you know, the Macedonians and others were saying that, well, the spirit is, is a kind of ministering spirit sent from God, a bit like an angel. 
No, but we don't believe angels are divine, so therefore the spirit is just a kind of created thing um, sent by God to do his work. And, um, and of course, Basil, and as you say, Athanasius, uh, and uh, the other Cappadocian fathers as well, you know, um, um, the two Gregories, all, you know, all argued that the spirit had to be divine. And I guess my question, I think I know what I think about this, but I'd love to know what you think about it too, <laughs> which is what, what was at stake in that that debate what difference would it have made if if the church had decided that the spirit was not divine that we were effectively binitarians uh, the father and the son and the spirit was a created thing sent by god to do his work but not part of god what, what, what would have been different what would we miss i think what i mean i think what have been what would have been missing was was us <laughs> um uh, i think we would we would have been left with a kind of pelagianism that uh, that we have the great example of this, the Son incarnate, and then we're left to get on and try and imitate that example. Whereas what the Holy Spirit does is 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 give us God's own um, God's own presence, God's own action, continuing to draw us into the life and love of Jesus Christ for the Father. So we're not left. Um, once we've seen the great example of, of God in Christ, we're not left then to get on by ourselves. We have the continuing presence and action of God, um, uh, that Jesus-shaped presence and action, which is the Holy Spirit in our Christian lives. Yeah, I think, and, and in particular, Jesus' promise and the kind of high priestly prayer about, you know, I, I will come to you. Um, there is, if the Spirit is not divine, then what comes to us, does not bring the Father and the Son to us. Um, we are not actually taken up into that divine life, which is what salvation is in the end. Um, I think, yeah, and I think one of the um, one of the points that I think some Basil was wanting to make was it was about you know how we understand the process of sanctification, the process of becoming like. Christ, the in, in, impulses we have to, 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 to become like Christ. And there's, I think there's one of his sermons where he talks about, you know, he, he addresses his people, who, and he talks about that, the, the regular habit of drinking games that went on in, in Caesarea where he was the, the bishop. You know, it was a kind of regular thing. You'd go down the pub and you'd have a kind of you know, drinking contest. Everyone would get a bit, bit too drunk. And, and this was a sort of sign of your virility and sign of your kind of, you know, sort of joining in with all the fun of everybody else. And, uh, and he, was, he was kind of arguing that, that, that you know, the, if if as a Christian you you sense that actually you have a sense that actually that's not a very good way of living, and actually that you, you want to live a different way, not proving your virility by getting drunk and destructive behaviour like that. Uh, that if if that is the work of the Spirit, this impulse to go in a different direction and and to become like Christ rather than go down the habit of sort of drinking games and everything else. That if that's God doing it, then that makes it much more significant that that sort of impulse to live the Christian life is not just a little sort of vague thought that comes to you, but that is God's work in your life. And therefore, it's much more important to follow it. And it was a kind of pastoral encouragement to these people that, that actually, um, you know, you, you've got a choice here. There's a there's the kind of, you know, the alcoholic spirit you can follow or the divine spirit you can follow. And actually, it's the divine spirit that ultimately will make you truly human, truly happy rather than this other route. So I think he, you know, for him, it was a matter of um, recognizing the impulse towards holiness as being God's work in us rather than just something self-generated or just responding to a kind of you know, human or created impulse. And so that was part of what, what was at stake uh, here in it all. 
And it's interesting, too, that the creed um, says that uh, the Holy Spirit spoke through the prophets, because, again, what we're um, what we're being shown is that the Holy Spirit is is an insight, is our way into the mind of God, into the mind of Christ. Um, so the, the sort of the pattern, the story of God's action um, that we are told of in Scripture um, is opened to us. I mean, that through the, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is is the inspirer of Scripture, uh, as 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 of the prophets. Mm-hmm. And just as in Romans eight, Paul says that it's the Holy Spirit prays in us. So again, that that's that that sense of of the Holy Spirit is the one who takes us into um, the 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 pattern of God's action and enables us to participate in it. Yeah, it's the one part in the creed where the scriptures suddenly show up, don't they? Yeah. I mean, there isn't really another article on the Bible as such, but they do show up at this one point where mm-hmm. you know, the spirits spoke through the prophets, that the prophets who spoke, and by the prophets, I think he kind of means kind of the Old Testament, the scriptures and so on, um, uh, that it's the spirit speaking there rather than just human words, which gives a, a, a weightiness and a uh, an authority to scripture, which is there in the creeds that it wouldn't otherwise have. It's not a developed thing. It's not the kind of central article, but it's an important part of a, the sort of methodology here. And yet, just to, to go back a little bit to um, this, uh, I think you were talking a little bit earlier on, Jane, about uh, um, this is the language of proceeding from the father. Um, of course, that was the original text, and it still is within the Greek Orthodox or the, the Orthodox Church more generally uh, here in the West. Uh, we have uh, we say that the Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son, which is the famous filioque clause, uh, which still divides the West and the East, one of the divisions between us within the Christian Church. Um, and we probably won't get into that in some ways. Some of there's all kinds of things that could be said about the filioque clause, but um, but I really just want to f- press into this this question of the Spirit's relationship uh, with the Father and the Son, um, and and what that says about the spirit and i guess to what it says about spirituality and how our, what it says about the christian life um then just to kind of uh, press into that a little bit more um and if you want to just explore that one a bit well i think some of this goes back to what paul says in, in 2 corinthians 2 about um, who knows the thoughts of another person except that person's own spirit within in the same way as no one knows the thoughts of god it's the spirit now that doesn't work unless the spirit of God is is God is divine, um, and that I think bears out what Jane was saying about uh, this is the the bringing out of what is essential to the life of God uh, and the expression of that in in the scriptures and, and in other ways, um, but proceeding from is a way of saying distinct from but utterly essential to and part of. Uh, and and that, that, I think, is uh, at least part of what the, the procession language is about. And, I mean, it, it, the, the, the way in which Son and Spirit um, relate to the Father is, um, is integral to who God is, but is also, they, they, but also different. So the Son is begotten, and the spirit proceeds because they're not identical. Um, they are um, real persons in their unity and distinction. I also think, um, that, uh, again, going back to Romans 8, 
what we're told is that the Holy Spirit praying in us teaches us to say Abba Father. So it teaches us um, to um, step into that relationship that is offered to us um, by the incarnate Jesus. We don't, in our own selves, have any right to call God Father. That's not our natural relationship with God, but we're invited into that relationship um, through the action of the Son drawing us, the action of the Spirit drawing us into the Son. Um, so it's Son-shaped action that the, that that Christian spirituality is about. It's it's enabling us to become more and more like Christ, uh, which we can only do with with the the, power, the help of the Spirit. It's also I think it's a, a really fascinating passage and one of the most resonant ones about the Spirit in the New Testament, the, that Romans eight one and and. Um, that, that language that the, the Spirit enables us to call out Abba Father, in other words, to use the same word towards God as Jesus did, as you say, as you were saying, uh, Jane, the Spirit draws us into the, in unites us with Christ, and that's you know many of the, the great theologians, particularly it's a great theme of John Calvin, that the um, the Spirit unites us with Christ, so that we are one with Christ, so that we we know the love of the Father. Because what at the heart of God is this love between the Father and the Son, the Son and the Father, uh, in this intimate, the most intimate relationship of love. And one of the extraordinary privileges of the Christian life is by the Spirit to be united with Christ so that we might know that same intimate love of the Father. In fact, that's the only way we can know it, uh, by being united with Christ and knowing, being into that same relationship of, uh, of intimacy. Um, but at the same time, it seems to me that, that that we are drawn into the same relationship as Jesus had with the Father, but also the same relationship as Jesus had with the world. Um, it also strikes me in Romans 8 also talks about, um, you know, the creation groaning, mm. the spirit, you know, kind of groaning within us. Uh, and that sense that just as the spirit, if you like, led Jesus into the wilderness, maybe even to the, onto the cross, that his relationship with the world was a was a, a relationship which led him into suffering and life through suffering. That, but actually, one of the signs of the presence of the Spirit is not always going to be moments of joy and ec ecstasy, but it will also be being drawn into the pain of the world sometimes. And that's actually just as much a work of the Spirit as the feeling of intimacy and ecstasy and warmth and love uh, of, uh, of the Father. So that that sense of the Spirit drawing us into a kind of close union with christ so that we know the love of the father and the, the son's relationship with, with the world is really quite important it's, it's a theme I, I explore quite a bit i wrote a book a number of years ago called the prodigal spirit and was exploring this whole theme about how the spirit draws us into the same relationship as the son has with the father and with the world mike you were about to come in and i butted in front of you oh no no i, I was just going uh, you know, to say i don't often kind of think of jane jane williams and uh, John Calvin in, in the same breath. <laughs> you but, today. But, but Jane has this wonderful phrase in one of her writings about how the Spirit enables us to stand in Jesus' own place in relation to the Father. Hmm. Um, yes, you did, Jane. Uh, <laughs> I still agree with that, so that's good. <laughs> I've forgotten you'd said it, haven't you? <laughs> um, and I think I, I find that a remarkable uh, truth, really, that, that what is true of the Son becomes true of us that we're eternally rooted in the love of the godhead that we're eternally loved eternally held um that we stand where where jesus did we hear over us you are my beloved son my beloved daughter in whom i'm well pleased that that all becomes true of us uh, because we are in him and, and and that work is the work of the spirit
And um, I mean, Augustine uh, famously, or maybe infamously, calls the Holy Spirit the bond of love, which not everybody likes because it isn't. It, it does sort of depersonalize the Holy Spirit. But I absolutely love it because of the strength of that description. Um, God's love is unbreakable. And bond of love between the Father and the Son. Isn't it? Yes, and that's yeah. again, and we're invited into that. We are the Spirit is our guarantee of God's unbreakable, yeah. invincible love mm -hmm. for us. Yeah. Uh, which, as you say, Graham, then we are enabled to turn out. Which we don't give up on the world because it's not going our way, mm. just as God doesn't. Um, yeah. And it, it, it also. Um, that turning outwards that the spirit does. It's just me. There's a there's a something significant this that this article on the spirit says about spirituality because if you think about a lot of contemporary spirituality, when we talk about spirituality, it's 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 kind of in slightly inward looking. Sometimes it's about me and my own spiritual life, my spiritual development, uh, and um, a lot of the sort of spiritual search in contemporary life is essentially a kind of individualized, um, kind of bespoke type of my own spiritual sort of development. And um, whereas it seems to me that the kind of spirituality that the Holy Spirit brings is, is, is not primarily individual, it's, it's, it's actually corporate, because the Spirit is, is not the Spirit without the relationship between the Father and the Son. And the Spirit is, is by its very nature, has proceeded from um, the Father and possibly the Son, depending on whether you go with the East or the West. Um, and, and therefore, the, the, the Spirit is essentially communal. And therefore, when the Spirit the Holy Spirit, the divine spirit begins to work in us. It doesn't produce just an individualized, my own bespoke personal spirituality. It actually connects me with other people. It creates community. It creates bonds between people, just as the spirit unites the father and the son in this bond of love. And that seems to be quite something quite radical about Christian spirituality. That it's fundamentally corporate rather than just individual. It's not not individual. Yes, we have our own individual relationship with God through Christ uh, in, the, in the spirit, but it's a, it's a relationship that, that binds us to each other uh, rather than separates us from each other, which is a, it's quite a difference, I think, from a lot of contemporary sort of spiritual writing and spiritual thinking. I think one of the other great differences is, is what you were saying earlier, Graham, about um, how the spirit uh, takes us to a place of groaning with creation. Um, a lot of kind of non-Christian spirituality and some Christian spirituality seeks to get us away from all this noise and pain and whatever into a kind of quiet, blissful place. Um, and we, even in much Christian spirituality, we're told to shut our eyes, keep the world out so that we can focus on something else. Um, whereas I think Christian spirituality, spirit-led spirituality, if you like, often takes us to the, to the place where pain is happening and and, uh, and drives us to our knees there um, to be, to intercede on behalf of the world and to be the place where God and the world meet in in in, in groaning and in uh, healing. Um, I guess one of the other bits of language that the church has always used about the spirit, spirit is which is not explicitly there in the Nicene Creed but it's sort of it's there in the background is the idea of the spirit as gift um, we talk about the gift of the spirit now it's kind of it's kind of there because it's talking about the spirit as the giver of life um, the spirit gives life but the spirit is also gift um, to us and um, 
I just wonder how you respond to that language, what, what that says to you, um, the idea of the spirit as God's gift to us, the gift of the spirit, which is, uh, you know, which we talk about in, in the church, we talk about in, there in the scriptures. What, what does that language convey to you, the idea of the, the spirit as gift? It's significant, isn't it, that um, uh, both in relation to what you're saying about spirituality and in relation to this language of gift, that when we what we see in God is not just this binary relationship, God gazing at God, but an outgoing relationship, a relationship that um, the, the love of the Father flows through the Son and is returned by the Spirit with room for us to be returned in it. So the, 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 that it, the, the Holy Spirit has characterizing the, the sort of nature of God as self-giving. God is always gift um, from our existence of the fact we exist at all onwards. Um, uh, we are enabled to be from the, the gift of God's self to us. Um, and, uh, and that sense of, of the Holy Spirit as, as um, the, the, the sort of the one who draws us back in, who enables us to give back what God has given to us um, by, by the very nature of the spirit as gift. There is no gift anybody can give that's greater than the gift of themselves, mm -hmm. uh, because that's the only thing we have to give. <laughs> uh, and therefore God's gift of himself is all the more so that greater than which cannot be conceived um, as, as a gift. Uh, it is God's gift for himself. And, and what else is there uh, to be given, to be received, to, to be transformed by? And I think um, it gives us a sort of real um, appropriate confidence in what, um, in our, our Christian lives together, that we, you know, we are given the gift of the spirit so that we can give ourselves to each other. Um, not because we're worth it, not because we're brilliant, but because, because we are gifted. Um, what we've been given, we pass on. Um, and, uh, and again, that builds up that, that corporate sense that you were talking about, Graham, that um, every creature is, 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 a, is God's gift to other creatures. Every human being is God's gift to other human beings, um, which is why, um, you know, where, wherever we gather, we look and see who who have we not invited, who is not, who have we not made space for here, whose gift to us are we missing, um, because we've become too inward looking or, or, or you know exclusive in various ways. That language of the gifts of the spirit, I think, is a really interesting one. It's an interesting way of thinking about our our capacities and abilities as human beings, because I think again within a lot of secular culture we think of our our talents or our abilities are somehow to our credit. And if I'm really good at, you know, football or chess or, you know, my job or, you know, whatever it might be, that's somehow to my credit. And that sort of marks me out as better than other people who are less good at these things. Um, whereas that language of, of, of this, this is a whatever I happen to be good at or whatever I do as a gift, which is just, which is primarily Christian language, a gift of the spirit, the spirit who's the giver of life. That actually says that these aren't any credit to me at all. They're just things that have been given to me. And therefore, I have a responsibility to use them well, rather than somehow using them as a means of exalting myself over someone else because I'm more gifted than they are. 
And then that actually has a very radical change to the way in which we think of and compare ourselves to each other. Uh, when we talk about the gifted, you know, we often sort of, you know, exalt those people, oh, they're amazing, they're very gifted at, you know, um, sport or music or whatever it might be, and they're sort of somehow better than everybody else. But it, but the language of gifts actually says, well, they're not better than anybody else. They just have a different gift from, 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 from other people. So the language of gift um, brings a kind of sense of equality to us and, and sort of levels our, our sense of entitlement and the sort of hubris that sometimes we, 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 you know, we, we exercise in that way. Yeah. But it also sounds quite joyful, doesn't it? I mean, it's not, I mean, if you've got to give, if you call it a gift, it's not just a responsibility. Hmm. I mean, giving somebody a, a, a present is usually a lovely thing to do, isn't it? Giving and receiving gifts. Hmm. Um, so so there, there is that, that sort of exuberance and joy about the sense that, um, uh, that we are gifts to each other, that we are given um, particular particularities that we can then um, share, um, and that's a joyful thing. And, and yeah, coming back to the where we started on the idea of the giver of life, it seems to me again one of the things about Spiritus Gift is that that you know when we invoke the Spirit in the church, there is a kind of expectation that something happens mm. and that transforms things. So you know when when we break bread and pour out wine together and we pray and we ask the spirit to come upon those gifts of bread and wine in some way and obviously we're going to everyone will disagree on exactly how it happens but in some way they become for us the body and blood of christ you know when when we pray for someone else maybe laying hands upon them and asking for the spirit to come upon that person whether it's confirmation or in a prayer ministry context we have this belief that, that yes the spirit does come in in some way you know when 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 a preacher gets up to preach and prays for the the spirit to to, to inspire them that somehow that sermon even though it's human words can become the the word of god and so you know the the spirit is the spirit who gives life takes bread and wine takes um you know a, a, a simple prayer or the gesture of laying on of hands or takes the words of a sermon and transforms them into something spiritually um sort of energetic and and, and life-giving um, which is a which is again a very profound thing that that transforms the church, not just a place of words. There's too many words around in the world anyway, but actually a place of place of life where spiritual life is found. The Eucharist is is a very good visual example of how everything is is God's gift. That's what he offers. Yeah. Um, and uh, what you were saying earlier, Graham, about seeing our gifts as gifts turns what would otherwise be self-glorification in, into self-gift. Um, yeah. and, and the movement of the two is completely the opposite. I think that's a very good place to end. We could go on talking about the article of the Spirit for a very long time. I'm sure we could, as always with Godpod. But um, uh, yeah, it's been fascinating to chew over the uh, this wonderful article on the Holy Spirit. And um, so those of you who've been listening, I hope you've uh, enjoyed this um, exploration of the theology of the spirit. Um, and uh, yeah, we can, I'm sure there's lots more to be said about it. And I'm sure we'll come back to it again at another God pod, but um, we've reached the end of our time for today. So uh, it's goodbye from me. And from me. And uh, from me. Come to that. Goodbye from all of us. And see you next Bye. time. That was God pod, a podcast from St. Paul's Theological Center. If you want to send us a question, just email it to godpod at htb.org. 
can't promise to answer all the questions you send in, but we'll certainly try. Mm-hmm.